I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and it's so good to have you here in this service. And I also want to give a big shout out to those who are watching online. I think, man, from week after week, we're, we're averaging around 350, 400 people that are joining us online. And so I want you to know that we're thankful that you are with us. But, but, but we're kicking off a brand new series called Where the Rubber Meets the Road. Now, what I've got, here, here's, here's what we're going to be doing, okay? So this is like the third series that we've gone through Romans. And we're going to be going through Romans 12, 13, and 14. And, and so there's so much in Romans that we just, we'll do a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hit another series, come back to Romans. So we're back here in chapter 12. Now in Romans, in Romans 1 through 8, Paul has broken down. This is, you know, here's the problem. It's, a, it's an issue. It's a sin issue. He breaks it down in Romans 1, Romans 2. And then he introduces a solution for sin, which is a righteousness that doesn't come by the law. It's not by keeping the law. It's a righteousness that comes through faith, but specifically faith in Christ's work on the cross. That is our hope for salvation. Well, then he breaks down what that, what that means for us. We, we end with Romans chapter 8, which is the, one of the most victorious chapters in all of scripture. In fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more in Romans chapter eight than in any other chapter. And it's just like, man, we, we can have this incredible life, but it comes through Christ because of faith in Christ. And, and, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. In Romans seven through nine, he breaks down what this means for Israel, for the Gentiles. And, and now we're into Romans chapter 12. And he's going to be hitting something that I think is very, very important. Now, here's the thing. If you are new to grace, it is great to have you here. But I'm going to go ahead and, and just let you know, we're a very diverse church. And what I mean by that, I, we do this in next steps, but we haven't done this for a while. So I'm going to do what I do in next steps for everybody here. I want you to understand how diverse we are. So let me, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to ask you, you to respond. If you were raised with a bab, going to a Baptist church or something like that, let me see your hands. Baptist, all right? All right? So we're like all kinds of different types of Baptists. Like, you know, we got uh, the Reformed Baptists. We got American Baptists. We got Garb Baptists. We got, you know, uh, 1611 Independent Fundamental, uh, 1611 King James Version, Red Letter Edition of the Bible, Baptists. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like we have all kinds of Baptists. But we also, how many of you would, would say you come from a Nazarene background? Let me see your hands. You got a Nazarene? Okay, we got some Nazarenes in the house. All right. How, how many of you would say you come from a Methodist background? Any Methodists here? All right, good. Uh, any Assembly of God? Any Assembly of God? Any, any Pentecostal? Pentecostal charismatic? Are you serious? I thought I'd get some noise. I mean, come on, we're the Pentecostals. <laughs> like, literally. Man, you're killing me here. Come on. I, I, I'm a, okay, so uh, speaking of God's frozen chosen, anybody here have a Lutheran or Presbyterian background? Let me see your hands. <laughs> How many Calvary Chapel? Any Calvary Chapel? Oh, yeah, come on. Calvary Chapel, you're, you're here. Um, what am I missing? Oh, anybody have a Catholic background? Catholic? Yeah, okay, so here's the deal, man. I, I could say, like uh, some of you non-denominational churches, you come from non-denominational, okay? Listen, I can, man, we could go on forever, like all these little off-brands. My point is this. We have somehow come from all these diverse backgrounds, diverse brands, if you will, and we're, you, somehow you've ended up a Grace Bible Church, and you know what's uniting us? It's Jesus Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's a commitment to the word of God. And I love this. But you know what I know? Is that just like we have different brands, we all have different opinions. Like some of you prefer Popeyes to Chick-fil-A. I don't even know how that's possible. But you do. 
Some of you actually were cheering when you heard that Tom Brady was coming out of retirement. Don't know how that's possible. Some of you, I've heard it is rumored that there are even people among us this morning who have desecrated their home and brought into their home cats. And I don't know what <laughs> is going on with the situation. But the reality is, what I know is that there's a great diversity. And, and here's the thing, when there's great diversity, there's great diversity of opinion, and that's okay. There's a difference between disagreement and division. We can, we can disagree and still, and still be brothers and sisters. Division is a bad thing. And so we're going to talk about this because over the next several weeks, we're looking at literally, it's, it's practical theology. This is, you know, information. Here's what, here's what Christ has done for us now. Here's, here's what it looks like to live it. Information plus application equals transformation. And so we're going to be very practical over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to specifically talk about this. How, how do Christians respond to those with whom they have a disagreement? And I want to go ahead and give you my big point right up front. You can write this down if you're taking notes, if you're online, or if you're, you're using the app. My big point that Paul's going to hit here in Romans 12 is this. How I respond to difficult people matters to God. How I respond to difficult people matters to God. So how does the saved, spirit-led, growing Christian love and live and behave? Well, in the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, we've looked at them over the last few weeks. Where it said, I, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. But then we, we looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago. But do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so while we looked at God begins this transformation, he, the, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in us that's going to come out. He is, he's changing even our thoughts. But I want us to look at verse three because he doubles down on this where we read, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now catch this. He talks about thinking twice. There's a wrong way to think about ourselves and a right way to think about ourselves. There's a wrong way. We think too highly. We estimate ourselves too highly, but there's a right way to think in which we think soberly. Now listen, it would be great if pride didn't exist among Christians, but there are times that this thing sneaks in, right? Okay, like when I say, I, I, I don't know how to say this, guys. Like if you're looking for the perfect church, this is not it. Like, uh, in fact, you, you may tell you why the reason this is not the perfect church. Look at the person next to you. Seriously, look at the person next to you. And just realize that they're looking at you at the same time. We are all in this together, right? It's, 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 this is our issue. Now, there can be a pride, a, a self-preservation. It's all about me. Listen, this shows up in marriages. Listen, there are times where I, Lori and I, are we're having intense moments of fellowship in which <laughs> I am convinced that I am right. And at the very same time, I don't even know how this is possible. Lori is convinced that I am wrong. <laughs> but there are times where this whole thing, I am right, I'm right, I'm right, bleeds over. And, and so there are two ways that, that we can think wrongly, where we overestimate. And, for, and they, they both come from pride. Number one is that we can 
we can think too highly of our own opinion that we think we are the standard of rightness. And by the way, can I just tell you that every Bible study leader knows who those people are in their group? Because we got to correct every little minute detail. No, excuse me. No, you're wrong. No, that's, no, that's not it. No, what he's saying. And, and, and literally, this, this obsession with, with right. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with right. But it's when it's, I am the standard. I am the source of rightness. It is my mission, my spiritual gift to correct everyone else. <laughs> no, nah, probably not. You're probably actually estimating yourselves too highly, but there's also a flip side of this that also comes from pride. And it's this, this whole underestimating, this pity me. It's actually a false humility in which we actually, we're fishing for people to respond to us. I'm going to tell you, if I see one more passive aggressive post on Facebook, like, oh, uh, you know, they'll just go on how terrible they are. And I'm like, and everyone's, oh no, you are an amazing mom. You're an amazing dad. You're an amazing, I'm like, Stop it, you're feeding the beast. Stop this. Now listen, there are times in which we literally, we do go through tough times and we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We talked about that last week. But the reality is there can be a false humility in which we actually, we say these things because we just want to hear the affirmation from others. He says, don't do this. Think soberly. Think soberly of yourself. And what he's speaking of, this is just a, a humble self-evaluation. I like how Ray Stedman put it. He said, every morning I remind myself of three things. First, I remind myself that I'm made in the image of God. Secondly, I remind myself that I'm filled with the spirit of God. And third, I remind myself that I'm part of the plan of God. And I'd add a fourth. I, I think we need to remind ourselves that I, am, I have not arrived. I'm still being transformed by God. I love this because what it does, it actually allows us to come back to the reality that we are still being sanctified. We are still being transformed. If you're not dead, God's not done. He's still working in you. He has something to do in you. And so as, as Paul continues to, to write, he, he's saying, I want you to think soberly, think the right way about yourself. He goes on to, to break out in the next uh, five verses, the fact that the church, it, it, it takes all of us. We're all members of, of one body and not all members are the same. He says in, in verse five, so we though many are in one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. And it just hit me. I forgot to talk about the offering this morning. You can give on your way out. You can give anyway. That's just right here. I just told <laughs> That's what has I do announcements. Um, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He's breaking this down. The church, it's made up of all of us. We're all necessary. Trust me, as at times on Sunday morning, I'm preaching, I'm the mouth. It's not good for all of us to be mouths. Like literally, that's not a good thing. Like seriously, it's, it's, it's just a terrible thing actually. We, we need hands, we need feet, we need, we need elbows, we need eyes. We, it takes all of us. But then Paul transitions and it gets really practical. And, and I'm just literally going to expand on what it's so practical. I'm, I'm just going to be able to unpack what Paul has here because I think it makes sense. He says in verse 9, he said, These are the marks of the true Christian. Let your love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. And then he goes on and he talks about difficult people. And right now, all of you can think of a difficult person. If you're sitting by them, do not squeeze their hand or anything like that. But here's what he says in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's hard. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, and that's, that's huge. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Are you kidding me? That's in there? Yeah, it's in there. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you're like, finally, I like the heaping burning coals. I like that part. I'm actually going to take that away from me. We'll come back to that. But then he sums everything up in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And what he's saying is, listen, living this or believing this, is not enough. Acknowledging that this is true is not enough. You see, as sons and daughters of God, we're called to live this. What does it look like to live this? Well, here's the thing. In every single church, yes, including Grace Bible Church, there are hurts, misunderstandings, wrongs, things that have taken place, disagreement, I guarantee it. I guarantee that in every family that is represented here, whether it be the, 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 the family, your, your immediate family or your extended family, the same thing is true. What makes the believer different from the unbeliever? What makes us different? Because there is a difference. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't, don't respond. Don't live as they live. We, we looked at it a few weeks ago, Ephesians chapter, chapter four. Don't walk as the pagans walk. Walk differently. What does this look like practically? Uh, what does it look like practically? Well, here's the thing. In every church, there are three types of people that, that, that are every place the, the, the church gathers. You will find three people who, who are, are part of the gathering. First of all, you will find hypocrites. Like, I, I, I don't know who here is a hypocrite. We probably have some hypocrites here today, all right? A hypocrite is, is someone who professes to have something they don't possess. There's a difference between a profession of faith and a possession of faith. I, I met a guy several years ago, a buddy of mine. I'm looking around to see if he's here. I don't see him, so I can tell the story. Um, I, I, met, I, met a buddy, I met a buddy of mine. Uh, he, he, the first time I met him, I was at a car show and uh, I meet him here, the first, somebody introduced him to me and, and so we're talking and he, is, he, find, he finds out I'm a pastor and literally he like ramps things up. Like he's dropping the F-bomb. He's just going hardcore and in, in just almost like he's ready to go or almost like very, very uh, in my face. And uh, so 
finally, I asked him a question. I'm like, which I knew the answer. I'm like, where do you go to church? He's like, I don't go to church. He said, you know, and I said, well, why not? He said, churches are filled with hypocrites. And I, I took away everything. I'm like, oh man, I totally agree with you. I'm like, I'm gonna tell you right now, Grace Bible Church is filled with some hypocrites. I'm gonna tell you, we got hypocrites. He's like, seriously? I'm like, oh yeah, I said, I've always said the number one reason people don't go to church is because they've been to church. It's just real. You find hypocrites. I said, no, I said, if you're gonna be fair though, I said, if that's a reason that you're not coming to, to, uh, to a church, I said, man, I said, don't go to Walmart, man. Because I said, they got a lot of hypocrites that are walking through Walmart. <laughs> I said, you go to Texas Roadhouse, you're going to be rubbing elbows. I said, honestly, I said, I don't think I can look myself in the mirror at times and not see a hypocrite looking back at me. And he's like, you know, he said, that's a valid point. He said, I'll be at church on Sunday. <laughs> Long story short, gave his heart to the Lord. God has transformed his life. It's amazing. He, he tells that story better than I do. I wish he was here. I'd have him tell the story. But, but the reality is, is this. That whole thing of, of, of hypocrites, it's, it's a real deal. Now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a there's people that take it a step further. There are mean people that go to church. You might be sitting by them. I'm a, <laughs> mean people. Like my, uh, my brother's here. Uh, Bobby, my niece is here. Jill, it's good to have you guys here. By the way, it's Bobby... Bob's, it's his first time in Idaho. I've lived here for 18 years. It's his first time in Idaho. It's not because we hate each other. I asked him, I said, what took you so long to get here? He's like, man, I just wanted to make sure you guys got everything unpacked before I came out to visit. I'm like, thanks a lot. <laughs> but, but Bobby and I, the, the, the church that we were raised in, um, I, the, the, Bobby, Bob knows exactly who I'm talking about. There was a guy who was a jerk. I, I, like, you're like, oh, you can't say that. As a, yeah, I can't. He was a jerk. I'm just telling you right now. Mean. And then he, he would like pick on kids. Like after, so he was an older guy. He would grab my brother's ear and just twist his ear, or grab, just pinch, just, he was mean. One time he picked my brother up by the sides of his head, just picked him up. And that stopped because my brother kicked him as hard as he could in the, in the knee and he never, he never did that again. But, but, the, but the point was, we, when we talked about past, you know, there's a lot of great memories. A lot, we, we remember so many great people who live for Jesus and love like Jesus and exemplify Jesus, but we also remember the mean ones. And so, some, sometimes, I, I just want us to know, we're going to run into mean people that have taken on the name of Christ, but they don't live like Jesus. Now, I, I also want to say this. The church is also, every time the church gathers, there are people who have been changed by Jesus, but they're hurt. They're broken in some way and they're in need of healing. And God might be taking them on the process of healing, but, but hurt people can hurt people. The reality is this, I, well, the reason I'm, I'm breaking this down, I know that it is very important when it comes to practical theology, living this, that we understand first and foremost, that we don't just raise our hands when we talk about Jesus dying for us, but we also raise our hands and affirm what he said about the fact, this is how we respond to those who have either hurt us or maybe they've even crossed the line and literally persecuted us. You see, how we respond to difficult people matters to God. And so what Paul does, he, he gives us some great practical advice and he sums it all up really in verse 21. And I'm just gonna take what he's given us with two commitments that we make. God, with your help, first, the first commitment is this, I will not be overcome by evil. God, with your help, I will not be overcome by evil. Now, it's good for us to ask, how, do, how, can over, how can evil overcome us? Paul addresses this. Evil overcomes us when we repay evil with evil. 
Now, I'll be honest with you. This is where I wish I didn't have laryngitis. I could really get fired up about this. I, I feel it. Like, I want you to know, like, I'm, t- I'm talking loudly on the inside. I'm just telling you. Because this is, this is huge right here. This to me is huge. To repay evil for evil means this. I want to see them hurt. I want to see them suffer like I have suffered. I want to bring them down. Now listen, real quick, I want to hit pause. I'm talking about hurt and all this stuff. I'm not talking about ongoing abuse. Okay, I want to be really clear about this. Because if there is ongoing abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, all this, that needs to be addressed. And you're like, I don't know where to start. How do I know if it's real abuse or whatever? Talk to a, talk to a biblical Christian counselor. Talk to a pastor. I'll, I'll help you out. Listen, I got, a lot of, I got a lot of guys here that would love to help you out if, if there's abuse going on. But, but no, my, my point is this. I'm not, I'm not talking about the, just rolling over and the, hey, just abuse me. That, there's no place in scripture that says, you know, allow sexual abuse or physical abuse and that sort of thing to continue. That's not the case. What, what I'm talking though is that there's gonna still be some of that. If, if you have experienced that in the past, you're still gonna get some good out of what I share here. Because what, what can happen whether, whether it's that or maybe it's just the hurts, the misunderstandings, the disagreements that can take place within the body or outside the body, yeah, for that matter, we can become obsessed with revenge, with repaying evil for evil. And this can happen one of two ways. First, it can happen where I'm going to carry out vengeance myself where I literally, I'm going to find ways to malign their character. I'm going to find ways to bring them down. Literally, if I have an opportunity to execute vengeance, I am going to do this. But there's another side in which we can repay evil for evil. And this is where our life becomes focused around rooting for them to fail. We can't move forward. We're looking at the past and we are so obsessed. What we don't understand is we are still within the grip of what has happened to us. And so whenever we see them go through something terrible or something happens, we're like, yes, yes, yes. yes. This church is not to be for the son or daughter of God. And you're like, that's, I don't like that. I know. But that's what makes us different from the world. There is a difference here. We are not overcome by evil. And so whether you're plotting, you're fantasizing, or you're executing vengeance, what takes place is that it begins to change us ourselves. And it changes us in at least three ways. You can write these down. First of all, our relationships are poisoned. We begin to treat everybody else like they're the problem. We, we become so obsessed that, that we begin to ignore those that are around us or we become, some, we become so, uh, so consumed with what has happened and the hurt and, and the pain and we, we let that change our view even of other people. How many people have left the church because of what they saw within the church? It's real. It's real. And church, what I know is it begins to poison us. When we don't let God have this, we harbor it. it is, it's, it's a cancer that affects us. But beyond that, it's not just that our relationships are poisoned. Our heart is deformed. You, you see, the spirit is all about forming our heart, but this is where our heart is deformed where self-centeredness and self-righteousness begins to obsess us. 
And I, I'm here to tell you, church, the gospel, the gospel is always against self-righteousness and self-centeredness. Self-righteousness says merely, I am better than everyone else. Self-centeredness says that I am more important than everyone else. And the gospel says we are nothing outside of the grace of God, but because of the grace of God, we are who we are in Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms what, what many times this sinful response to hurt comes in and it destroys our self-righteousness. It destroys our self-centeredness. It tells us that we are in need of grace because self-righteousness, as we obsess over this, how could they do that? I was right. We set ourselves up as the paragon of virtue. And all we do is we ramp up, man, this is me. This is me. And this is why humble self-evaluation is so necessary. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. I'm not saying that you weren't legitimately wrong. But anytime we, we adopt this victim mindset, it robs us of spiritual life. And what takes place is when we see ourselves just, we, we, you know, we're the knight in shining armor. We're, we're the, the noble person who was hurt by this terrible enemy. It just turns us into a self-centered, self-pitying, self-absorbed person that eventually becomes someone who is capable of cruelty. This is why he says, don't be overcome by evil. I would, I would leave you with this. It also limits the church's potential. A church that is fighting amongst themselves is not a church that's on mission. A church that will not forgive and will not let, let go within the body is not a church that is, a, that is about the kingdom. And what has killed the church, and I say this, not just Grace Bible, I'm, I'm talking about the church in general. What has killed the effect of the church is the fact that instead of fighting for Christ, we have fought each other. Instead of fighting for the mission and fighting to see, man, our neighbors saved, we have fought about, about the stupidest things in church. This cannot be so. God has called us to something greater. He has not saved us just so we can feel good about ourselves. He has saved us to transform us. And there's good, he, he is about his work of continuing to transform us. And sometimes the greatest work he does in sanctification is even in these times as of hurt as we let him have what we can't control. Guys, don't be overcome by evil. That's the first commitment that I must make, but there's a positive commitment, I love this, where he says, instead, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. So, so how do we intentionally go about doing this, especially when it comes to those who have hurt us, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally? Well, the first thing, I, I'm, just, I'm taking Paul's outline here, right? I'm just expanding, this is so good. He says, begin by blessing those who have hurt you. Love genuinely. Don't, don't be fake. You don't have to be fake. Love genuinely. Abhor the bad stuff, but hold fast to what is good. Love with affection. I, I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. I had a friend that had come to me that was wrestling with a situation with somebody else and it wasn't, the person hadn't necessarily sinned against them. There was a strong disagreement. And he said, I, I just, I don't think that I can be with this person. And I challenged him. I said, I want to challenge you for the next two weeks. I want you to find every opportunity that you can to honor them. And I said, I want you to, I, I want you to let me know how it goes. And within a week, I get within seven days, he responded back. He said, I cannot believe what God is doing to bring. He's doing what I didn't think was possible. It, it was just this weird thing. Paul knows this. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This isn't some big secret. 
He, he's saying, outdo one another. Can you imagine what a church would be like that says, man, I am all about, I am going to outdo you when it comes to honor. I, I'm God, man, let's go for this. Can you imagine that is a church that's on fire where people are like, man, I don't know what's going on, but look how they love one another. I want what they have. That is what I'm talking about. He says, bless those, bless those who have hurt you. But he goes beyond that, forgive those who have hurt you. Forgive those who have hurt you. And there are two aspects to this, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. But I like this. He said, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. He said, instead of obsessing over the wrong, I want you to obsess on how to do the right thing. Now, let me, I, man, I'm gonna be honest. One of my pet peeves is blatant disrespect. I just, I don't know, man, that, that just irritates me, whether it's, whether it's towards me or, or somebody else. I mean, my, my kids know, we love to laugh. I'm not talking about, you know, when you laugh and joke and have fun, being sarcastic, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where there is blatant disrespect. And I'm gonna tell you, right now, I'm throwing in something for free. Like, you don't have to give a dime for what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. You know, parents, one of the greatest things that you can do for your kids is to actually raise them according to what we're reading right here. Can I tell you that God did not call you to be their best friend first? He called you to be their parent. He literally has given kids to you to steward for his glory and for their good. Oh, that is good. I feels good. I felt good about that. That was good. Now, I'm telling you, man, this is, this is huge. My kids know it's not this thing. Like, like, for instance, a person that has to go around demanding respect probably maybe struggles, maybe they don't deserve respect. But what, what I'm saying though, respect should be a, a, a major thing. And, and so like, if there's like the flippant disrespect, I'll say, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, hold on a second. What, what did you say? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Not, I'm not doing that to be a jerk or anything like that. I think it's a good thing. But there are times when, when this, when this uh, blatant disrespect happens, man, it, it irritates me. And so I'm just gonna tell you, like this whole thing of, of this not being a perfect church, starting with the guy up here with the mic, okay? My immediate response is always, oh man, I'm gonna show you. I, I, I literally, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I am ready to pull it. That is the flesh, that is my immediate response. But you know what God does? He transforms us in such a way that, that, that he takes us away. And, and, and this does not happen automatically. Can I just tell you, there's not a magic button that God, God's like, oh yeah, uh, you, you will never respond that way again. No, there's always gonna be, the, there's temptation. But there's a commitment that we make where we're like, no, actually, I'm gonna take every thought captive and instead I am actually going to think about, I'm going to meditate on how to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Amen. And you're like, I don't like that, I know. I know, it is, that, that is not fun initially, but it's amazing when you begin to see the fruit of living in obedience to what God has called us to, it actually becomes something that brings joy. There is actually something good that takes place in this. And so we move from, from, this, from this blessing to actually forgiving those who've hurt us. And by the way, forgiveness, can I tell you, it's not just some words you say, I forgive you. You can say the words, I forgive you and not forgive. Forgiveness is literally an act of worship before it's anything else. It's trusting God to be God and to take care of what you can't control, giving it to him first. Now there are aspects, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. Just because you 
I've come to a place you've surrendered to God. That doesn't mean that you guys are going to be reconciled because if the person's not repentant, you can't reconcile with somebody that's not repentant, but you can forgive someone who's unrepentant. You can't be restored, but it starts with forgiveness. And listen, it starts there, but can I tell you that it's not a one-time thing because just like there's temptation, like if God sets you free from an addiction or or there's something else that you've given to him, you know that temptation's coming. Just because, you know, if if you were an alcoholic and and, and God has transformed you and you've surrendered this to him, can I tell you, there's gonna be a temptation to drink again. If if God broke broke you free from the addiction of pornography or something like that, hey, listen to me, that temptation's gonna come again. Same thing is true for unforgiveness. You're gonna be tempted to pick up that burden. And, And this is where we live different. We commit this. It's an intentional thing. This is why we should be a confessing people, not a hiding people or acting like we got it all together. We confess our sins knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the most beautiful things I saw, Bob, I don't know if you were there. This would have been several years ago. My family traveled to music ministry and we were at a church. I found out later the, the story, but I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. It. I was a small kid. The, this church had two sections and they just had a single center aisle. And the people on this side never talked to the people over on this side. Something I found out later that uh, I heard the story. There, there was a family over on this side uh, that had done something wrong against the family on this side, and they had done something in return. And because of that, they came to the same building. They sang songs together, they listened to the word together, but they never forgave each other. And so that center aisle was literally, it's like the Berlin Wall, man. He's like, that's, that's, just, you know, that's separating the city. And so what they would do, everybody that agreed with this family sat over here, everybody that agreed with this family sat over here. It was the weirdest thing. And so I remember we were, we were there, they called us to be part of this, this meeting. We were singing, and, and I just remember there was, there was a time where God began to move. There was, there was this really sweet spirit. And I'll never forget what took place. The patriarch of this family over here stood up, and he made his way over to the patriarch of this family. And he stood up when he came. He didn't know what was gonna take place. But this guy said, I want you to know that I apologize and repent of what I've done wrong. And I forgive you for any hurt that I've held against you. And he held out his hand. And I watched the patriarch of this family grab his hand and they embraced. And literally, it was the weirdest thing. People started streaming across this aisle and hugging each other. And I witnessed firsthand what God does in response to forgiving and letting go. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. You've been wronged. Is it, is it joyful? Not at the moment. But can I tell you that what God can do as we overcome evil with good is far greater than what we ourselves can do in seeking out vengeance. And ultimately, this is what he comes to. We also, a way we overcome evil with good is we actively attempt to make peace. I love the qualification of verse 18, where he said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I'm gonna tell you, there are some people, you can't control people. You can't control response. You can't control what they're gonna do. The only thing that we can do is surrender to God. And as far as it depends on us, live at peace with one another. There are way too many of us, church, that have been living in self, we put ourselves in prison. 
We hold the key, but we are locked in. And it's because we, we're just holding on to this. Man, there's something beautiful that happens when we let go as we attempt to make peace. Now, attempting to make peace does not mean that we call the wrong right. That's not, that's, you're lying if you do that. That's what I'm saying. But as far as it depends on us, we live peaceably with all. This is where you get to verse 20 where he's talking about, man, feed your, hungry, your enemy if he's hungry. Give him water to drink if he's thirsty. But in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire. And you're like, yeah, what's, what's that about? Because I could get into that. Well, in, in ancient cities, you know, they had the walls that protected them from the armies. When, when an army wanted to take a city, they would come against them. They would, they would build the ramparts or whatever. And, and, and so the, the main thing that they had to do, if they could get over the wall, they could take the city many times. And so one of the greatest defenses that, that, that the people would do is as the soldiers are trying to get over the wall, they, it would either be uh, hot, uh, hot and molten, you know, metal, something like that, or, or it'd be something like, uh, yeah, just, well, hot coals. It's some fire, and you would literally pour this on the heads of the enemies. And so what you were doing was you were actually slowing down their efforts. They couldn't continue their antagonistic efforts if you would do this. What he's saying is not saying, hey, burn the hair off of your enemy's head. It's like, oh man, shoot, I was hoping that's where we're going. That's not what he's saying. He's literally saying by doing what you can to make peace, you're actually slowing down their attempts at antagonism and they're not going to conquer Literally what we do in doing good is we're literally slowing down the attack of the enemy. I've got, I've got, I've got, to, keep, I've got to keep moving. I'm going I'm to close with this. I'm going to close with this. How do we overcome uh, evil with good? We oppose wrongdoers humbly. Again, this does not mean that we just roll over and say, hey, continue your abuse, continue to do what is wrong. No, because if we act like what happened was not wrong, if you're like, oh, it's not a big deal, that's not true. And actually what you're doing is affirming this kind of behavior that they could potentially do to someone else. So that's, that's not right. But we oppose them. We oppose them truthfully. We love them directly. You know, I think these days we equate love with agreement and you got to fully accept me. No, that's not the way it goes. That's not true love. True love has boundaries. True love is, is based on some standard of right or wrong. But, but even in the face of disagreement, the love that marks the sons and daughters of God is this phrase, I love you in spite of. And can I tell you that is a love that you and I cannot magically generate. It is a love that can only be given by the Holy Spirit. It literally is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, this is a love like Jesus. If you, if you, Luke uh, 23, 34, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He acknowledged that what they did was wrong. It was in need of forgiveness. God, forgive them. What they're doing is wrong. But he asked for grace for them. They did not know the full significance of what they were doing. Many times what takes place, we don't know the full weight of the disagreement, what the hurt or the motivation behind this. What we do is we love gracefully, knowing that we have been loved graciously. Literally, we live out of the overflow of what God has done for us. And so what does this mean? It just means this. While we read in verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It reminds us to just acknowledge that we are the church. First and foremost, we're to seek God's will on earth as it is in heaven. 
It's acknowledging that God is the judge. He is the only one who has the right to sit on the judgment seat. Several years ago when Cole was like two, he was ordinary from an early age. I'm just telling you right now, like even before he could talk or anything, he was just ordinary. And so I, upstairs in, in our office, I had an office chair where I would do work when I came off the road with Liberty. And so, so I, I'd, I'd come home and, and he would see me with my laptop heading to the office. And it didn't matter where he was, he would, I'd hear these these uh, running feet, he would come thundering by me and, and jump in my chair. He just, ha, 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 ha. You know, he's spinning like, what are you gonna do now, dad? I'm sitting in your chair. And like, and, you know, we'd, I'd play, get out of my chair. Ha, you know, he's laughing. Get out of my chair. He's laughing. And finally, I'm like, yeah, I do need to go to work. Get out of my chair. So I'd pick him up, set him down, you know, do the little uh, kick on the rump or whatever. And he, he thought it was hilarious. He'd, he'd run off. And it was just kind of our little joke that we did. And I, I thought about that when I was studying for this message. I wonder if there are times when God's like, get out of my chair. We're like, no, no, I, let me take care of this, man. I know what I, I did. I'm gonna take him, I'm gonna take him down. Oh, this is great. He's like, get out of my chair. Get out of my chair. He gets, he, sometimes he'll just have to pick us out of the chair, give us a little kick and see the pants. But the reality is, God, what God can do to avenge is so much greater than what you and I can do in our puny efforts. Trust God with it. We're called we're called to love, we're called to bless, we're called to forgive, we're called to let go, we're called to oppose humbly. We're called, we're, we're called not to think too highly of ourselves, but to trust in the one who is able to not be overcome by evil, to overcome evil with good. This is the first part of what it looks like to live practically. This is what it looks like to live out our faith, even in diversity, even in times of disagreement, even when we don't see the eye, eye to eye, even in times of hurt, we can let God have it. And guess what? The church is still the church and the church will move forward. And so Father, as we leave here today, I'm so thankful for the good work that you have done, for the good work that you're doing. I believe that you are not done working in this group of people. And so God, if there's anybody here today that, that finds themselves in, enslaved by unforgiveness or bitterness or, or they're obsessed by getting back, executing vengeance, I pray that your Holy Spirit would faithfully speak to them, that they would trust you, that literally they would confess and agree with you that this is something you should handle, that they would let you do this, and God, that instead they would actively go about with your help overcoming evil with good. So God, may you do a good work in your people, and for what you're going to do as we walk in obedience to you, we'll thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name, and all God's people said? Amen. Good to have you here today. Don't forget, you'll be grabbing, you'll be giving information about the Boise Harvest Festival coming up and exit to the right, exit to the right. Love you guys, see you next week.